I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So we're talking this week about a, a giant meal uh, that we don't know exactly what time of day it is. So we can't, we can't like force our own agenda on it and say that it was a breakfast. It was 9.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning. <laughs> it was not. You don't know that, Keaton. Uh, don't people be talking with you at all? <laughs> Twitter will be all ablaze. Mm-hmm. Jesus Local told podcaster me. podcaster <laughs> says. Um, but it is, a, it's a big meal. So I thought it would be worth us just talking about our own. Do you have any thoughts? Have you ever been a part of a giant meal? When I think of giant breakfast, I remember um, having to have bre- breakfast with my track team okay. when the rest of campus would be away so my coaches would be responsible for making sure we had breakfast and so it'd be like usually for three days and day one was always fabulous we'd all all 70 of us would file into the women's locker room okay um and there'd be is that weird to eat that breakfast was weird in a locker yeah room? so that's step one of why it's weird especially our locker room in particular it's basically a studio with like so there's lockers um, showers, bathroom. Is all, there like a is like a sweat present in, one. in the air? Yes, I feel it's like very potent. Room. It was okay. relatively small too, so it was nice and saturated. So women's locker room, <laughs> had just some tables set up. And day one, there's be all of the options of cereal, bagels, right. peanut butter, jelly, cream cheese. Yeah. Day two, um, dismal. Day three, there'd be like toast. one, yeah. yeah, piece of toast that somebody already toasted from two days ago. Okay. So that's, that's what big breakfast means to me. Yeah. Quality can go down mm-hmm. uh, when food is mass produced. Right. Uh, it's funny. Cause like college was my thought too. Cause it's like every day is a buffet, right. Mm-hmm. If, in college. So, um, and I think there, because of that, there's like a little bit of competition to that. So I thought uh, not necessarily the days where like, it's different. Like yours is like, most of campus is gone. So they're just making it for you guys. I thought of like the days when everybody's on campus and especially breakfast and like Sunday brunch mm-hmm. at my school was a big, uh, a big day in the cafeteria because they had biscuits, but it was a timing issue. You wanted to like be there when the biscuits were fresh and hot, like got it. So, um, and I feel like especially breakfast, like eggs mass produced are, a frightening thing to me. I think so too. Like you want to get there when you think about like a buffet line and this is probably true at like your Perkins, your Shoney's, right? Like buffet, you want to get there when they've just put the eggs. They're still out. warm. Yeah. There's something I think sensitive about. <laughs> so a lot of times I remember in college, like what I would do is they had a waffle maker and I, that would kind of be my go-to because you could kind of control the Right. The elements. The waffle was not sitting out for yeah. three and a half hours. It was always hot off the press because you could, they had the, like a hotel would just have like a make a, make your own waffle kind of thing. Uh, I think about that too with like the hot donut signs uh, at Krispy Kreme, right? Like there's a little bit of a competition. It's a timing issue. Um, uh, so I thought when you think about like those moments where there's a big crowd and there's only so much food, right? 
that one of the things can happen, and we see this all over the place, right, is that we get the scarcity mindset. And this is the thing that people talk about in lots of different fields, like the difference of thinking scarcity uh, versus abundance. Mm -hmm. So the difference of thinking there's, there's plenty of hot biscuits available versus there's only like 10 hot biscuits and you got to get there. You got to get there. Um, so we're talking about this because we're looking at this story. Uh, that's the feeding of the 5,000, which happens in Luke nine. Uh, fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? I'm ready. It's going to be so fun. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting down. This is the only story that happens in all four gospels. See how fun that was? You didn't even smile. You didn't even, not even a little bit of fun. It's the only story that happens? It's the only miracle that oh, happens. Oh, the only miracle. Oh, it's got the it. the only miracle that happens in all. I mean, I would call it a miracle. Uh, yeah. To be oh, able to feed 5,000 people and keep sure. them pretty happy, I think is kind of a miracle. I'm uh, smiling now that I understand. Yeah. You realize how, how exciting that mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Uh, now there is, you might've got confused because there's a bonus 4,000. There's a bonus story that happens in Matthew and Mark. Okay. Where Jesus is like, well, if I can feed 5,000, I might as well go ahead and do, do 4,000 also. 4,000. So, uh, there's a little bit of like a conversation about this discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Like it's either that um, it did happen twice. And so the gospel writers just recorded it as happening twice. Uh, or there's a chance that like it just was this, a lot of the gospels are put together by oral history that it's just people just were passing these stories along and then eventually these guys took to the pen and wrote them down. Okay. So maybe just in lost that transmission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but what I, I like about it though, what I love about these, the fact that these stories coexist is that the gospel writers did not find that to be a problem or threatening. There was no effort. There was no cover up. So I've always just kind of loved that the earliest writers, the earliest listeners to these stories, uh, they kept both accounts. So it's either that all the feeding happened, so there were so many hungry people, and so many times when there was big crowds listening that this actually happened several times, uh, or they were just okay with the difference, because the, there's also a little bit of a difference in like what resources they have at their disposal, whether it's the fish and the loaves, or how many loaves and how many fish. Um, and so it either happened so many times that they couldn't even keep track of it, or that they were okay with like this little difference, because... They were close enough to know it happened. Right. You know, um, so the gist of the story is the same in, in both, in all the accounts is that there's a big crowd who's been listening to Jesus do all this stuff we've been talking about, like telling stories nobody's heard, um, giving teachings that nobody's ever heard. And so there's so many people, he's so compelling. You have these big giant crowds and they're not even there for the breakfast, right? They're not even there for the food. They're there for what he's saying. Uh, but at a certain point with a big crowd, no matter how good it is, you're going to you get, get hungry. hungry. Right. It's the thing about having bodies that we keep talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they limited. Yeah. Eventually your appetite's going to, going to show up. And so uh, here they are. And the disciples, of course, are, you know, they're trying to figure out the logistics of this. They're like, well, we don't have, what do we do? So um, they want to just send them away. Like, let's go just send them all home for a while. Uh, but Jesus says, no, this is an opportunity. <laughs> and so I think there's, a, it's kind of fascinating to me what Jesus has them do. One is that he has them sit in groups, mm. which I always just kind of find interesting that yeah. whether that's like just a mechanics issue or whether it says something fundamental about the way that Jesus like deals with a crowd and deals with like the feeling of hangry that they must be having. 
Like maybe if you get them into smaller yeah. groups, you can get into better conversation, maybe yeah, save up the hunger. He wants them to experience it together and maybe he doesn't like the crowds of a thousand would be too many. So he has them get in groups of 50. Um, and then he like multiplies whatever resources they have, which in this case in uh, Luke nine is the five loaves and the two fishes, two fish, fishes, two f- fish. fish. Eye? <laughs> What's two the, fish. The plural of fish, I think is just fish, right? There were two th- fish. There were three fish. Yeah. Yeah. No, send your letters, <laughs> send your letters to breakfast translation. Uh, so to me, these are the ingredients for the worst sandwich ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is not a great uh, situation. Yep. You're uh, at this, you're at this, I don't know, festival like occasion. Yeah. We've got fish and bread. Yeah. Uh, which does, it just reminds me the worst when you talk about like mass food. Have you ever had like a mass food, like a bad experience? I just thought of, I, I, I asked a question cause I have an answer to okay, it. Okay. Got it. Uh, but I went to an Oktoberfest once where and I was early because we had done this race. And so we were at the Oktoberfest as the festival was opening and they had hot dogs already, which you think, oh, great. Fresh, hot, hot dogs. Mm-hmm. No. Oh. Last night's hot dogs. Last night's hot. Oh, that they were had getting been soaking in water. Oh. All night long. Juicy hot dogs. Uh, I can't explain exactly what happened, except that the hot dog disintegrated in my mouth. Ooh. Has, Ooh. It was a, like I can still, if I close my eyes. And just I'm quiet for a minute. I can like feel it. Yeah. It's still, it's very present uh, memory to me. Um, so yeah, I think there's, we've already talked about this, right? But like that mass food sometimes is not the best. Right. But I do think maybe there's some kind of, as we talked about, Jesus fully human, fully divine. He's got, he can control matter. So maybe he made this delicious somehow. Uh, but they got a little bit of protein and some carbs uh, to keep going. And then he just kind of goes through some mechanics here. In addition to having them get in groups, he does this thing where it says he takes the bread, uh, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it to them. And of course, that that language becomes like the language of communion. Right. Um, and I love, I heard a, I think it was a nun uh, say this, and I can't, I'm, my her name is, has fallen out of my head. But she was a, a nun who, like, she's one of these very active, like, she's very politically active, socially active, does a ton of, like, um, charity and justice work. And I heard her speak once, and she talked about this as not being a, just a picture of what God does with bread, not just what Jesus does in this feeding of the 5,000, or even what happens in communion in the church, but what God does with us. Uh, and so if you substitute, if you imagine us as the bread, or maybe you're a fish or a fishes, uh, but that God takes us, that God blesses us, like says a blessing over us, calls us good, uh, that God breaks us, which I think we could, we'd certainly could give some evidence to that being a true thing, right? But then God gives us, that God like sets us loose into the world. Wow. Um I've always just kind of find, like, I love the, I think scripture invites that kind of poetry um, and invites that kind of interpretation. Um, Because if we think of ourselves as not enough, or if we think of that scarcity thing, Mm -hmm. uh, the who we are is not enough, uh, that what we see in this story is beyond just the idea of what God can do with a small amount of resources, but it's what God can do with who we are. 
which can is prob- be given. Yeah. yeah, we can be given to the world and probably what will happen is beyond what we could what we can imagine. And so I love that where it's like, here's something that's kind of true about food. And it's interesting about food, but it's even more interesting if it's just universally true for how God works. Uh, and another kind of maybe even more beautiful thing is that it's not just like there was enough, but leftovers, <laughs> there's more than enough, right? There's like enough for the next, you know, 10 days, right? It says 12 baskets of leftovers. So it is like God is Jesus showing off, you know, there's a little bit of sass maybe in this. And, yeah. And, and that their scarcity is not something that exists in Jesus's name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the kingdom of God operates by such different rules that even when it looks like there's not enough of something, there's more than enough. Uh, do you find yourself, are you tempted by scarcity at all? Is it tempting to you? Yes. And not in a way that I've ever really faced true, especially like hunger or anything like that. But yeah. I grew up with the brothers and the thing where um, if I didn't get to the table fast enough, <laughs> the orange chicken would be gone or the appetizer would be gone. And yeah. I am very food motivated. So it was yeah. something that really caught like still when I sit down at like a event for work or something and there's an appetizer that I'm eyeballing, I have trouble not. Yeah worrying. There's something about food, I think, that sets off competition in us. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked before about how uh, my mom did like a stockpiling thing. And I used to always think, because she was always afraid they were going to stop making things she loved. And I used to think that was so wild. But especially in this pandemic with the like, uh, the supply chain issues. Oh, yeah. So a couple weeks ago, this is a true recent story. Uh, I wanted... I. I really like this, a certain kind of popcorn salt mm-hmm. and it's not available at one major supplier. So I go to another grocery store with like a handful of things that are not available at this. So when I go, I try and get more than one or whatever. So this last time I was like, oh, I better get, I better get some popcorn salt. And then it was like, I'm not just going to get one. I'm like, I better get two, mm-hmm. you know, cause who knows what's going to happen. They could get stuck on a train in Los Angeles. Yeah, that is very, very real right now. So then I get home and I go to put the popcorn salt in its place and there's three (laughs) things already there. Your your mind's going through this every single time you go out. Yeah. So uh, I just think that's, I just think that's so funny. Like this has been a really challenging time for people who it makes us have to improvise. Uh, It makes us have to roll with the changes. It, It reveals those control issues. Right. And, um, you know, maybe even trigger warning here, but food is connected to a ton of control issues for people. Uh, there's a ton of disordered eating that has its start with, well, if I can't control anything else about my life, then I'll control this, you know, and it, it ends with in a lot of painful things for people. Um, but even if that's not, even if it's not as extreme as that, I think there's a lot of us where it's like, there's something, there's something we're working out sometimes in the way that we eat and not just the way we eat, but the way we eat together. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we've seen that in our world and not even just that, but, uh, going to the, like the larger picture, I remember learning and the, the actual number is again, has, there's a pile of things that have fallen out of my head somewhere. That's like <laughs> numbers and names of things. But I remember learning that like the world produces way more than what we, the population needs. So like every year, I think it, I'm going to, I'll just say seven. Cause I can't remember exactly, but it's like the world produces, the earth produces seven times more than what we need to feed the population. But the reason some people are hungry are just because of the means we put around how you get that food. Ah. So it's not, there's not enough food in the world. 
If it's it's that, there, it's just not getting dispersed. Yeah. The means we have are not um, completely fair and they're not set up for everybody uh, to get what they need. And so maybe that's the beauty of these Jesus stories is like there's thought to the mechanics. So put them in groups of 50 and maybe that's even it, right? Make them serve each other mm-hmm. in that group. Make them become accountable for here's however much you have for 50 people. Make that work. And so I imagine if I'm sitting on that hillside getting handed one loaf and being like, that's not enough for 50 people. And then just the magic of seeing it's enough even for the 50. And then you multiply that. Um, this is not counting women and children who were also there but didn't get included in the official count, which is also bothersome and a whole thing. Um, so thousands of people here are fed by just a little bit. And I think that tells us something about the kingdom of God. But, you know, I find myself more and more questioning some of my own, like having to be more thoughtful about my food and what it says about me that I can't handle if my bread is out this week. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and what does it mean that we, some of us get to stockpile um, while some of us are hungry? So, um I think that's what we what we find, right? Is even starting with a silly question can <laughs> sometimes challenge well, everything about how heavy. we live. Yeah, but I think I I still love that deep thing too of like that we all get taken and blessed and and broken and given and and what does that mean if I wake up and eat Cheerios in the morning? Was was the rest of the day look like if I have been held by God and broken by God that day? Um, so thanks for joining us on the breakfast translation. The music you hear coming in and out is uh, my sister Chris Reffitt. Uh, who lived and died with breast cancer at the age of uh, 35 and who um, she's, she would, I think I've already told the story. She would often like steal my popcorn. Yes. Uh, and that, so I, that may also be the source of some of my popcorn anxiety. Yeah. Our siblings are our first food competition, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So I'm sure somebody's written a big book about that somewhere. Uh, also, if you enjoy what you hear here, uh, we hope you'll share it with friends. Uh, we hope you'll tell the internet that you like it. It helps people find us in the, the algorithms of life. Uh, so thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation. <laughs>